Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1,000 Hours Outside, and I am beyond tickled to have Annabelle Abs, who also writes as Annabelle Streets, here with us today. Welcome. Oh, it's so nice to be here, Ginny. Thank you for having me. So, Annabelle, I was at a conference just this past spring, and I had someone come up in passing to me and say, I read this fantastic book called 52 Ways to Walk, and I think you will love it. And it was intriguing to me, and so I picked it up, and then I couldn't put it down. So, Annabelle, I love it. It's called 52 Ways to Walk, The Surprising Science of Walking for Wellness and Joy, One Week at a Time. This is actually your sixth book. So you have fiction and nonfiction, and a lot of this nonfiction is about wellness. So can you just tell us a little bit of your story? I would love to know some of your story about your author journey, and it's really neat that you have different types of books that you write. Yes, yes. So I I started writing fiction, actually, and my thing was really forgotten women, so women who had achieved something and been overlooked. So as we know, there are quite a few of them lurking in the wardrobe of history. So I started... Uh, with that route, but I'd always been really, really interested in health and particularly in walking. So I, I sort of grew up in a, in a slightly bohemian family. Uh, we were all homeschooled and we lived in the middle of nowhere in Wales and neither of my parents could drive. So walking was very much in my DNA. And so for ages, even while I was writing fiction, I kept saying to my agent, I really want to write about walking. And she was like, well, walking, that's a bit dull. (laughs) What is there to say? So then I just started, you know, I started as part of my health blogging. I was reading more and more studies and spending a lot of time on on PubMed, that huge database of uh, research studies. And I was discovering there was more and more, uh, you know, of interest about walking in terms of uh, just our well-being, our, our mental health, our physical health. So after sort of five or six years of writing fiction, but really wanting to write about walking, I sort of slightly switched. So I, so now I sort of, I toggle, I, I do fiction, which is fantastic for just creativity and my imagination. And then I have my writing line, my writing sort of walking writing line, which mm-hmm. I do actually from a, a walking desk. So I try to write those books while I'm actually physically walking. Mm-hmm. That's a slightly jumbled answer to your, to your question about the writing journey. And, and really from there, it's just grown and grown. So now I also write for a lot of newspapers and magazines. And again, it's often on on walking, sometimes on parenting, sometimes on looking after elderly parents. So all of those things that we are all sort of grappling with every day. Right. And it is an interesting thing, you know, that you're publisher or your whoever you're working with said, well, wouldn't that be dull? And I was telling someone just last night, I have this interview tomorrow and she wrote this book, 52 Ways to Walk. And they were like, well, what are the 52 ways? And then I could only think off the top of my head, I could only think of five or six. And then I was like, she came up with 52. And they're all interesting, Annabelle. I write in my books, I take notes. And I feel like I underlined almost the entire book because it was so interesting. So many facts where I was like, wow, what a cool thing to know. And when I posted, I posted a quote from the book and it got so much feedback. And a lot of people wrote that they had read your book. Someone wrote that she lost so much weight because it had inspired her to walk. And at the beginning of the book in the introduction, you talk about how there's this statistic that the average American is walking about 1.4 miles 
per week. I thought it was going to say per day, but it was actually per week. And also in the introduction, you say, when we move, hundreds of intricate changes take place inside our bodies. Just a 12-minute walk will alter 522 metabolites in our blood that will affect the beating of our heart, the breath in our lungs, and the neurons in our brain. So you grab in the audience right from that introduction, and then you go into these 52. Now, was it hard to come up with 52? Well, actually, I ended up with more than 52. I ended up with 54. But my publisher said, well, that's silly, 54. That doesn't sound right. Let's do 52. So no, it wasn't hard. But as you'll know from reading the book, I do include walks that, uh, for example, I, I talk about walking and singing. That isn't something that most people do. But, you know, when you've got kids and you're trying to get them up a mountain, you know, I, I've actually done a lot of walking and singing. So I felt things like that, which don't fit into your normal walking book. I felt they deserved a chapter. Aww. So I do go slightly into areas that some people might say, well, that's not really walking, is it? But to me, it is. <laughs> it totally is. And marching and people have always walked to song and rhythm and beat. So and we certainly have done the same thing. If you're on a hike and you're out there and you're trying to get everyone pumped up to make it back. Yes, that we include singing and music. That's fantastic. Okay, so can we start with the cognition part? Yeah, sure. How we walk affects our brain functioning. How does that work? Yeah, so it's it's actually very, very simple. So I'll use very, very simple terminology. As soon as we put our foot down and it hits the ground, that just that movement, that slap onto the ground, immediately propels blood that has been, you know, we're sitting on our backsides most of the time. It propels that blood down through our bodies and up again and all the way up to our brain. So just that very simple, that very, very simple coming down. You're reasonably hard, not too hard, but as in a normal step, coming down onto a surface just starts that whole process. And of course, then when you've got blood and oxygen flowing, all the way through the body, that's fantastic for the heart and for the lungs, but it's also really good for the brain because, of course, it goes up to the brain. Blood and oxygen just circulate the whole time if we're moving. When we stop moving, of course, it just stops circulating and the whole thing just slows down. And I think we have to remember that our bodies are built, they are built to move and they are built specifically to walk. So, you know, we love cycling and kayaking and climbing and all those things, but our bodies really are designed to move, you know, one step in front of another wow. with our arms swinging and a really very simple in fact the motion is so simple if, if you ask someone to describe that movement they wouldn't be able to because you know it's just come so easily to us and so so we're designed to be moving we're designed to be outside which of course we always forget uh, so movement outside is much more powerful for brain and body than movement indoors mm -hmm. although i do always say you know even indoors you know if you're revising for an exam or you just need to have five minutes and you can't get outside or it's dark, just, you know, just walk around your kitchen table. The most important thing is to be up and moving. Mm -hmm. So the first thing with the, with the brain is that you've just got this continuous flow of oxygen and blood through all of the cells. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, there are hundreds of other things happening. You mentioned, the, you know, the over 500 tiny little changes, and it's probably, it's probably in the thousands of changes right. to proteins and metabolites that are affecting things that we don't necessarily associate with movement, but things like our immunity. So how, how strong our immune cells are. Uh, and again, if we're healthy in, 
in our body, our brain is also better. So we need to think, I think we need to think much more about the brain and the body being completely bound up with each other and bound up with movement. Mm-hmm. In the same way that our lives were once bound up with movement and we didn't, if you look at diaries and journals from sort of 500 years ago, no one ever talks about going for a walk. The idea that you go for a walk is a very modern thing. Mm-hmm. In the past, walking was like eating and sleeping. You just did it and you didn't really comment on it or organize it it was just part of your life and you know we've lost that but i think we're slowly moving back towards that as people become more and more aware of the benefits mm-hmm. one of the things that was mouth dropping to me was you had written that canadian researchers observed 500 walkers and they could identify with 70% accuracy who was going to have cognitive impairment so when you're talking about this connection between the brain and the body, that this movement is helping to prevent memory loss. Mm -hmm. And even one of the ones you talked about was with navigational skills, that you can go on a walk and you can also work on your navigational skills, which is also good for your mind. You talk about curiosity. So there's so much in there. There was a spot, and I don't know, I have so many notes here, Annabelle. (laughs) I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to find it. But when you were talking about the simple mechanics of walking in the book you say actually it is very complex it's one of the most complex things that happens in the world so it is something that's helping our brain yes all of that coordination i think you are you thinking there's a bit where i talk about the fact that no robot they have not been able to engineer a robot that can do something as sophisticated as our simple walking but Mm -hmm. if you think even our feet our feet contain hundreds of bones, muscles, joints, and they're, and they're tiny, but mm-hmm. it's such an extraordinary piece of engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, we were designed to be walking on our feet as opposed to perhaps cycling. Um, right. So the feet have been designed specifically and designed to walk on all sorts of different terrains and in all sorts of different weathers and to sort of move uphill and downhill and to go up on tiptoes so that we can creep quietly. I mean, the feet are mind-blowingly extraordinary. Yeah. To skip, to jump, you talk about that, to be able to to take that impact and shift it through the body. I mean, this is incredible. So the cognition, even just that one piece would entice someone to walk more. But then you have so much about the physicality. And one of the things that you talk about in here that I've only recently started to hear about more is breathing through the nose and the nitric oxide. I actually didn't know anything about this. So you can you tell us why is it important? I've been thinking about it and I've been talking to other people about it now too. Why is it important that we're aiming to breathe through our nose as we walk and just in general? Yeah, so the nose also is absolutely extraordinary and we sort of forget about it because we're so, uh, we're so enthralled to vision. Mm-hmm. And the more we time we spend on screens, the more we, we become sort of, I guess, reliant on our eyes and the more our other senses mm-hmm. sort of fade away. But the nose, cont- in each of our noses, they contain these extraordinary cells that take oxygen and convert it into nitric oxide. We can't do that in our throats. So every time we breathe through our mouths, and not only are we taking in huge amounts of pollution because there's no filter, that's the other thing, there's no filtration system in our throats. So if we're, we're walking alongside traffic and we're breathing through our mouth, all that pollution is going straight into our lungs. Hmm. If we breathe through our nose, it goes through a filtration system and some of it will, some of it will be, you know, left, left, left up there, <laughs> left up there <laughs> to not travel across into our brain. But the cells that produce nitric oxide start working as soon as we breathe through our nose. And that nitric oxide is really good for our lungs and for our respiratory health. And nitric oxide, what it does is it sort of shunts 
our blood cells fast around our body. So you've got to think of a bit of a nitric oxide as a like a little foot pump that attaches itself to a, a red blood cell and just gives it a little push. So again, it comes back to everything moving really smoothly and efficiently and beautifully all through our systems. So nitric oxide was investigated uh, a lot during the pandemic when they discovered that people, they, they created machines that sort of blew out nitric oxide. And those that were in hospital wards with nitric oxide machines were making much better and much quicker recoveries. Interesting. So some of the medics were saying, okay, during the pandemic, okay, guys, you've got to breathe. Stop breathing through your mouth. You've got to breathe through your nose, which actually is, you know, a lot of people now find it quite difficult to breathe through their nose. If you're talking, you can't breathe through your nose very easily. You tend to breathe through your mouth. And if you're doing anything that's physically uh, sort of tiring, you start to breathe through your mouth because you can breathe much through, much more quickly when you go through your mouth. Mm-hmm. But when you breathe through your nose, you also breathe more slowly. So again, everything just sort of calms down, which is why nasal breathing is also really good for lowering levels of um, anxiety and stress. It just calms us. Mm -hmm. So when I've been out walking, I've really been trying to pay attention. This nitric oxide thing is so fascinating. It's produced, it starts, like you said, in the nasal cavity. And then you talk about humming. (laughs) That humming is also a good way to produce. I've never heard this in my life. So when you when you hum, Ginny, you produce 15 times more nitric oxide just from humming. So if you can walk with your mouth, your mouth closed, breathing through your nose and just humming and it's you'll, you'll feel the hum. It's sort of down in the back of your throat here. That is really, really good for you. Really good for your lungs. Really good for your blood. Uh, it's such a simple thing to do because um, no one need even need, know that you're humming. You can do it sort of very privately and quietly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what you talk about with the singing, which I love the, the chapter about singing, but maybe someone might feel a little embarrassed depending on where they're walking. And so the humming can be a little bit more private. That's right. And then you also talk, I mean, you really talk about the senses here. You're talking about breathing through your nose, but you're also talking about smelling. I didn't know that our smell receptors get replaced frequently. Every every thirty to forty days, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, so the, and the interesting thing about smell is that it's it's like a muscle, and if you don't use it and and concentrate on it and sort of have a good sniff, uh, you know, just throughout the day, you you will forget how to smell. So things like cooking are brilliant because you will often you'll pick up a piece of food and you'll just smell it to make sure it's fresh or it smells good. But also when you go out for a walk, really, you should be putting your nose into, you know, the neighbor's lavender or into the wild peppermint or just, you know, into the branches of a tree and just really spending a moment to breathe it in through your nose and to think about how it makes you feel. Because quite often you will notice within a second that you feel happier, more, you know, more uplifted or a little bit calmer or, or a bit excited. Um, mm. But it's a, it's a sense that again, a lot of us have forgotten how to, how to use. We should take a, uh, take a note from our dogs who are brilliant at smelling. Well, let's talk about the dogs, because there was a chapter about walking with your dog, and it was such an exciting chapter, talking about how having a dog, having a companion enhances life, and and people know that, but you have all the science in there. People are living longer and living happier, so tell us about walking with the dog. Yeah, absolutely right, Ginny. People, I think people know a lot of what I've put in the book, actually, because, you know, people say, oh, but I know it's nice to walk in the rain or I know it's lovely to have a dog. Mm-hmm. But what I've tried to do is to sort of explain why. So that when when people are unsure, 
you know, they can they can turn to the science. And the science on dogs is again really interesting. You know, people who live with a dog, I lived with one for 14 years, but I haven't had one for the last two or three years. Uh people who live with a dog have, have uh more diverse microbiomes. So they have better gut bacteria, which as we know now is better for mental health, better for all sorts of intestinal issues. So just having just having a dog is really good for your gut. Stroking a dog, once you start stroking your dog, your body produces you know, the love hormone, oxytocin. Mm. And oxytocin makes you feel both happy and calm. So just stroking your own dog, not necessarily other dogs, because that might you might feel slightly anxious if you don't know the dog, but stroking your own dog, it's really, mm. really good. And then of course a dog just gets you out walking. So dog walkers, dog walkers live longer. And people aren't quite sure why that is, whether it's the the gut or you know, all those uh, mm-hmm. microbiota. Is it the oxytocin or is it just the walking? And the other thing about dog walkers is they go out in all weathers. So, you know, unlike unlike a child who says, I don't want to go out, it's raining. A dog never doesn't want to go out. Mm-hmm. They always want to go out, whether it's a you know, sunny day or a, a wet day. So if you have a dog, you are out often twice a day and often on, you know, a, a proper, a proper 30, 40, 50 minute walk. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120.
right? And so you're out in the different weather, which is something that you talk about in the book, the negative ions. So let's start there. I want to talk about the weather, but I also want to talk about the light that we're exposed to, because that's a big thing you talk about too, the time of day. But let's start off with the weather, because you're talking about the dog will get you out. Why do we want to get outside when it's wet? So the rain, the rain, well, the rain does several things. First of all, it gets rid of all the pollution. So if you are living in a trafficy area or you're in a city, a rainy day is the perfect time to walk. Fewer people on the pavements and, and the pollution is all just washed away. But the other thing, and specific, specific people, people who are, you know, out in, in the countryside, what the rain does when it comes down is it sort of, it sort of batters all of the plants and the trees. And when they're hit and battered and crushed and squashed by rain they start producing these phytoncides which they produce really to protect themselves so if you think if you think about uh, something coming down knocking your skin perhaps opening it you're suddenly more vulnerable to germs and disease and the same is uh, applies to plants so after a downpouring they will start to produce all these chemicals that oddly perhaps make us feel really happy so there's just mm. the smell the smell of soil after it's been, you know, completely sodden by rain. The smell of trees and plants—they'll be producing all sorts of different, different phytoncides, uh, and different phytoncides will have different effects on us. So they're good for memory, they're good for immunity, they're good for respiration, they're good for mood. They lift us up, they even out our mood so we feel calmer. They lower our blood pressure. Wow. It's quite extraordinary, really. So again, you need to be sort of out there and you need to be sort of breathing, breathing through your nose more slowly, taking it all in and sometimes just even touching because these extraordinary, particularly with the with the, some of the bacteria, you can breathe it in through your nose. But you can also, if you just touch a tree, sometimes it's not a poisonous plant, but most tree trunks aren't poisonous, just just touch it. So you're just engaging with nature in a in a more uh, physical, a physical way as well, Get, getting it on your skin. And uh, in the same way, the rain is sort of on your skin. And um, yeah, it's, it's, the science is extraordinary. And most scientists still don't really understand why this is happening. But as time goes by, they're starting to understand a little bit more about some of the chemicals that these plants are producing that are also doing incredible things for our own, our own health. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just enticing. Get out in the rain. You, you read the book and you think, we, in the past, you might thought, oh, the rainy day is for me to stay inside. And, oh, this is prime time to get outside into the rain and to smell. It goes back to the nasal cavity thing that you smell these different smells. So that's the, what the book does. It excites you to get out. Then you also talk about the cold. So I just was telling someone yesterday, we were at a Little League baseball game. So it's, you know, it's height of the summer. And we went to our friend's baseball game. He's 13 years old. And it was a nighttime game. And it was 8.30 at night. And then it went into overtime. And so we were actually out until midnight. His game went until midnight under the big lights. It was so fun. But it was getting colder. We're in Michigan. And it's just not all that warm. And so it was hitting 63, 62, 61. So then I started talking about the brown fat. Because uh, I had just read about it in your book. And so that would be another inclement weather situation where people might say, you know, I'm going to stay cooped up in the winter, in the cold months. But why is it good for us to take an exhilarating walk when it's cold? Well, brown fat, brown fat is a, a horrible term for the most powerful, one of the most powerful things you can think of. So when a baby is born, a newborn baby, 
a newborn baby is covered in brown fat. And brown fat is just full of mitochondria. It's, it's just energy. And the reason for that, in terms of evolution, is that if the mother had then died, the baby had enough brown fat to stay alive. So, so brown fat keeps us alive. And the other thing that brown fat does as we get older, not with a baby, but as we get older, is brown fat actually gobbles up white fat. So if we think of white fat, white fat is the artery clogging fat that causes heart disease and heart attacks. Brown fat eats it up. So we want as much brown fat as we can get. As we get older, we we have less and less brown fat. But all of us, even into old age, keep a nice little store of brown fat just around our I'm I'm I'm, I'm fiddling, holding, holding, pointing now to my collarbones, but at the base of your neck, uh, mm. where your collarbones are. Although this feels quite a, doesn't necessarily feel a particularly fatty place, that is where we store our brown fat. So uh, in order to really benefit from the brown fat and to get the brown fat kicks, brown fat sort of moves into action as soon as it's cold. So if our body experiences some cold, it will start producing the brown fat and the brown fat will gobble up the white fat. That's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But mm-hmm. what you need to do is when you're out is to keep, just for the first maybe 10 minutes of your walk, is to keep your scarf unwound and the top of your coat just open so that your collarbones are just exposed to cold for a little bit because that that shot of cold will spur your brown fat. Uh, Caffeine also spurs brown fat. So you can hold a a hot cup of coffee in your hand while your neck is exposed and that will start to get rid of the really really dangerous fat, the fat that is going to or could possibly clog up your arteries. So, so brown fat. Think of it as think of it as as it's magic, really. <laughs> and the more you can get, the better. And so, a cold swim will do the same. People who um, swim regularly in cold water have really good stores of brown fat. People who are getting out in the cold and either running or walking will have good stores of brown fat. And the more brown fat you have, really, the longer you'll live. So we all we all want to get we all want the brown fat, but they really need to give it a nicer name, don't they? They do. They do. It's fascinating. And what it does is it actually makes you hopeful for the more inclement weather days. Like, oh, I'm so excited it's going to be a rainy day. Or I'm so excited that I'm out in this little bit of colder temperature, as opposed to feeling like it's drudgery. And you write in here that two hours of exposure to moderate cold, which moderate cold doesn't even have to be crazy cold, but moderate cold triggers the white fat to turn into brown fat. So yeah, this is incredible things happening when we're out in the weather that a lot of people consider to be bad weather. Yes. It's actually great for us. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think I think it, it just goes back to what we were saying earlier, Ginny, that our bodies are designed, they're designed to be outside in all weathers at all times of the day and night, really, up to a point. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, you know, every time our body faces a little tiny bit of stress, whether that's cold, or hunger, uh, you know, it responds immediately by saying, okay, this person looks like they're about to die. We've we've got to kick into action. And all of your cells will suddenly do this sort of spring clean. So a lot of the things that, you know, goes back to that whole phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you you stronger. So some of the things that I think in the past we've used as excuses to stay home and, you know, watch Netflix are in fact the very reasons to get outside. I love that. This book, I just, I mean, I loved it so much. Couldn't put it down, mouth dropping. And, and, you know, we've been getting outside for the past decade. So it's rare 
for me, because I do read a lot, to come across books where I've never heard that before. And in your book, it was thing after thing after thing and things that are so exciting. I just loved it so much. And the family that came up and told me about your book, they said that they had been walking through their neighborhood, walking backwards. They had been skipping. They had been jumping. And so I was intrigued from the get-go and intrigued all the way through. It's just such a great read. 52 Ways to Walk. It came out this year. So it's a new one. People can definitely check that out. You're talking about the dogs or you're talking about maybe if you have backyard chickens or if you have a garden, those type of things get you up and they get you out in the morning. And we found during COVID, we tried to get out during the morning because my midwife had talked about it, but I didn't understand the science of it, that it will help you sleep better at night and it will just help you throughout the day. And so you talk about light and the importance of light and how when we get out and walk, especially in the morning, that is going to enhance our life. So can you tell us why? Yeah. So the first rule, I guess, I, I call it a rule, is to try and get out within one hour of waking up. So if you can get out, uh, assuming it's light out there. So if you can get outside fairly soon after you've woken up, several things happen, which we're not really aware of, but now scientists are starting to understand what happens and why. But the first thing is the light the light switches off our melatonin. So the melatonin is the hormone that helps us sleep and it's sort of trickling through our bodies during the night. And as soon as our, our brain sees light, it knows to switch off the melatonin. So it knows to wake up. So that's the first thing, very, very basic. The second thing is that the light that we have in, so the light, the colors of the light change across the day and morning light has a lot of blue in it. And this blue is really important. It does several things. First of all, it raises our cortisol. Now, we think of cortisol as being a stress hormone, but cortisol is also the hormone that energizes us and gives us a nice, you know, surge of get up and go in the morning. So that blue light is also saying to us, okay, you know, get busy, get going, get energized. The blue in the light also raises our levels of the happy hormone, as it's sometimes called serotonin. So as well as having the energy hormone, We've also got the happy hormone. So, um, and, the, and the brighter the light, the greater the sunshine, the more serotonin we produce. We produce it when it falls on our skin. So it's another reason, really, when you're outside, if it's warm enough, is to roll up the roll up your sleeves for a bit. The light can get directly to your skin. And don't put on, the, unless it's really, really hot and bright, don't put on the sun lotion straight away. And the other thing is don't wear your sunglasses for that first 10, 15 minutes Unless, unless it's so dazzling you can't see, because the light is coming through your eyes and you've got this layer of cells at the back of your eyes that then take the message straight to your brain. Now, if you're wearing sunglasses, those cells at the back of your eyes, they don't see the blue in the light. They they see you know, whatever tinge your sunglasses in, they see wow. it's an amber shade or warm shade, which is more of an afternoon color. So, so go out first within an hour of waking. Don't wear your sunglasses, roll your sleeves up. If it's cold, have your scarf unwound and your neck exposed. And, and that really is how you, you will get off to a fantastic start in the day. Because the other thing that happens when your brain registers that early morning light is it sets the clock, for the, it sets its little body clock in the brain for the whole day. So it, it'll send a message to the brain, to the melatonin, uh, saying, right, you know, you're, you're on standby. You're on standby for 15, 16 hours, but then you're you're... It's your turn to come back on. So it's mm -hmm. like a sort of a very clever a little alarm system, which is forward setting the melatonin. So come 10 o'clock at night, 
the melatonin, or even before that, the melatonin will turn on and start to, um, you know, rest, get you rested and calm for sleep. So mm-hmm. it's, it's ex- another extraordinary, intricate piece of engineering that we, we keep in our brain. And it's, and it's all about light. So mm-hmm. I think the, the sad thing, of course, is that a lot of people can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would always say, if you drive to work, you know, try and drive maybe halfway or try and drive not all the way uh, and then get out and walk for a bit. If you're working from home, don't just fall out of bed and, and roll straight to your laptop. You know, mm-hmm. make sure that you you get outside uh, before breakfast, even better. Get outside straight away and get that light and get that exercise as well. Get that that movement and try and get some try and walk in nature if you can. Mm-hmm. So I spend a lot of time in London, but I will always every morning make sure that my walk goes past a river, through some trees, um, you know, just the greenery and the blue space and the green space are really are really important. Just so, just so that when you start your day, you are you know you are calm, you are energized, you mm-hmm. are sort of you know you're properly ready to go. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, yeah, it does. We purchased a light meter, which probably someone could even get an app on their phone. Yeah, yeah, it's an app. Photographers use them. So photographers use light meters. So it's a product that someone could purchase. And we were curious about it. And your indoor light is hitting at about 500, 600. It's measured in terms of candle lux, 500, 600. But as soon as you step outside, and we live in an area where it's cloudy a good portion of the year, but even when you step outside on a cloudy day, you're jumping into the thousands, maybe even 8,000. So we really saw the vast difference between the indoor light and the outdoor light. And I love what you said, Annabelle, the colors, the spectrum, it changes throughout the day and is meant to guide our bodies. So it's just more inspiration to get outside. And you went further, you talked about how if people walk in the morning, that helps with appetite suppression. Mm, that's, I must say that fact I found absolutely extraordinary. That if you are out in early morning light, and again, moving, not sunbathing, but moving in light, you will eat less throughout the whole of the day to come. So, <laughs> again, no one really understands why this happens, but it's shown itself in so many studies now that, you know, people, it's just sort of accepted knowledge amongst the sports science community that getting outside in the morning will suppress your appetite, but in only a good way. It doesn't suppress your appetite so much as stop you overeating. Right. And again, we don't know why, but it's something to do with some cascade of chemicals that says, okay, you know, we're good, we're happy, we're calm. We don't need to go and look in the fridge because we're we're anxious or we're unhappy or we're bored because we've just started on an even keel. What an interesting set of information for a parent. You know, who doesn't want a happy child in the morning and a child that's sleepy at night? This is what we're aiming for. And I think culturally so often it's get your work done before you play and it's counterintuitive it doesn't come naturally to start the day with a walk but your book catalogs thing after thing after thing that if you can consistently get out and walk in the morning it doesn't have to be extremely long but it will do wonders for your health and for your life and even the bird song so this is a completely different subject but the bird song travels further in the morning. And so let's talk about our hearing, that this is doing stuff for our moods as well. Yes, yes, yes. So birds, I think I think the data that I, I found was that bird song carries, I think it carries 20 times further 
early in the morning just because there's just less noise around so it's not necessarily that the birds are singing more loudly although actually often they are <laughs> but it's also that everywhere is quieter so you mm. hear the bird song and studies of bird song are really interesting because they show well there are two there are two sounds to listen for when you're out and about the sound that we find we humans find most relaxing is the sound of water now not big crashing waves which you know we can find a bit frightening but just water trickling water flowing water you know waves on a beach that we find really soothing but the sound that we find most uplifting that makes us happiest is actually bird song so wow. you want to be i mean ideally you want to be hearing some water to keep you calm and some bird song to make you happy but that's not always possible but birds, even in cities, you can hear if you go out 7 a.m., 6 a.m. earlier, you will hear plenty of birdsong. And it always, see, it always makes me feel happier. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 1000 hours. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Mm -hmm. And it said that it could last for four hours. So if you went out and did a morning walk at seven or eight in the morning, that's going to last your whole morning. So there's a really exciting things in this book about the simple, I mean, these are simple things, but they're so life-changing. That's what I love. I love simple things that can radically change your life because it's hard to implement complicated things, but this is the simple. Let's talk about walking backwards because that's what this one person told me about. 
and I did it. I just did it yesterday. I was like, I'm just, I feel a little weird. I'm just going to turn around for a little bit and walk backwards. What does that do for us? <laughs> uh, well, walking backwards uses completely different muscles, oddly enough. So if you think about when we walk forward, we typically land on our heel and we roll through the ball of our foot. But as you will know, Judy, from having tried it, when you walk backwards, you land on the ball of your foot and you roll backwards through your heel. So your muscles and bones are working in a completely different way. And that goes for the, the muscles all the way up your legs as well and right up to your glutes. So it's a completely different chain of muscles. Mm -hmm. So for a complete sort of leg workout, you should really do a bit of both. But the backwards walking has also been shown to activate parts of our memory. So sometimes when my kids had exams and they couldn't remember things, I would say to them, let's just go out and try a bit of backwards walking. And we would, they were too shy to do it on the street, obviously. So we would just do it in the garden. You only need a, you don't need a huge space, but you do need to have a space that hasn't got, I don't know, ponds or big rocks in, because otherwise you spend your whole time turning over. So, so it does, it seems to do things to the brain as well mm -hmm. as to, as to the leg muscles. Interesting. But we found, we just found it quite fun. We would do it for a bit and, and, and we would just laugh. Yeah, it is fun. Uh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure whether they remembered things more clearly, but again, studies have shown that walking backwards, people are able to retrieve memories that they couldn't when they were walking forwards. And wow. psychologists think this is something to do with when we go back, we go backwards, we travel backwards psychologically through our memories. And so mm. they think that when we walk backwards, that same backwards motion sometimes somehow activates our hippocampus, our, our store of memories. Uh, again, it's one of those things we don't quite understand how, but it does seem it does seem to work. Yeah. And I would have never considered as an adult. What was interesting to me is that all of our kids have gone through a phase where they have wanted to walk backwards. All of them. At a certain level, maybe they were three or four and they just got the biggest kick out of learning how to walk backwards. And you talk in there about how it helps develop the proprioception sense, which is a sense that I didn't learn about until well into being a parent. And so it was really interesting to think about, well, yeah, little kids do it when they're three or four or five because their bodies are developing that proprioception sense so that it's a foundation for further growth. But as we get older, I imagine that's extremely important for our balance in general, that taking some time to walk backwards would help us to not fall as much, to maybe be a little less yeah. clumsy and to keep that sense heightened. And it's an easy thing to do too. And it, it changes the whole thing. Even if you just did it for a couple minutes, it changed. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm doing something different. And as you just reminded me of another series of studies that I looked at when I was writing that chapter, and they were studies on children. Well, actually, children, children who found it hard to concentrate. And um, they found that after they had walked, after the kids had walked backwards, and it wasn't for very long, for a few minutes, something about that moving through space and having to really concentrate because when you walk forwards you don't have to think about it you do it automatically when you walk backwards you really have to think about where you're putting your foot and how your body's moving and that seemed to encourage these um fidgety kids then when they sat down afterwards to do some reading or some some quiet studying they were much better able to concentrate and they could concentrate for longer and that seemed wow. to have been triggered by the effort of uh, thinking about walking backwards it seemed to it seemed to pull into place a level of attention that hadn't been there before and I thought that was that was really interesting some of my children were were very fidgety <laughs> very mm -hmm. fidgety and I wish I'd known about backward backwards walking then <laughs>
Mm-hmm. I mean, I cannot recommend this book more highly. Who would have thought about walking backwards? And you even talk about how for people that have lower back pain, and there are a lot of people that have lower back pain, that adding this into your routine in a short period of time might really help yeah. with your lower back pain. Yeah. And that's interesting because when we walk backwards, and again, you'll have noticed when you did it, Ginny, when we walk backwards, our posture is different. So mm-hmm. our, and our spine, we have to hold our spine differently. So that uh, tendency for our lower spine to slump, which of course it does every time we sit in a chair, that goes. We have to hold up our, our lower spine. And so we seem to be uh, strengthening the, those core muscles when we walk backwards in a way that we don't when we walk forwards. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very strange, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is just one of the 52 chapters. If you're looking for cool ideas and things to shake it up a little bit and to add different health components to your life, just this is one chapter, Walk Backwards, one of 52. There could have been 54, but there's 52. <laughs> one of 52, Walk Backwards. One of the chapters that was really encouraging to me was about the 12-minute walk. And I was just talking to someone recently who does a 12-minute rule. She says, I try and do something for 12 minutes. It kind of gets me into it. And then a lot of times, once you hit that 12-minute mark, then you're going to continue. But even if you just had time for a 12-minute walk, that is going to dramatically impact your health. So can you talk about how could that be, 12 minutes? Well, in this study, which I think was done, I think it was done in the Massachusetts General Hospital, I think, they chose 12 minutes. So a more recent study, I think, has suggested that it could be t- as little as 10 minutes. Wow. I quite like 12 minutes because I don't know. I, don't know, I just, just like the idea of 12 minutes. I like it too. Their study found that it took 12 minutes for that number, which I think is, uh, I think it, off the top of my head, it's 502, I think, 502 metabolites to, to completely change. Unbelievable. And, and literally start. So that means that, what that means is that these proteins are literally sort of shape-shifting and starting to produce, to change the shape and change their capabilities, if you like, to be able to do things that they couldn't do 12 minutes before. So for me, 12 minutes is uh, a, just a very nice number because almost anyone can find 12 minutes. Right. Even the busiest person can find 12 minutes to step out of their house and walk. In that one, the walk was quite, a, it was a brisk walk. So that's a five, a 12 minute fast walk. Mm -hmm. Uh, as opposed to a slow walk. And you do talk about that throughout the book, our pace. And you talk about the benefits of a slower pace and the benefits of a quicker pace. And just even within the aging process, some important pieces of information. It made me think, I want to try and make sure that I can keep a quicker pace for as long as I can, but that also there are benefits of slower walks as well. So it was really nice to have that balance there. And then you talk about when we walk, rucking which this is something that I hadn't heard of until pretty recently. And it helps with your bone structure. It helps with the, the strength of your skeletal system. But you say we're meant to walk and carry. Mm-hmm. And so to backpack, it feels good. So we're wrapping up here a little bit, but let's end with that one about walking and carrying. Why should we try and incorporate that into our lives? Well, again, we, we were built to walk and to carry. So if you think about our our nomadic ancestors, they would have been carrying babies and children and often everything they owned as they went from, you know, wherever cave to cave, they would have been carrying uh, dead animals that they had killed. They would have been carrying all their bedding. So again, we are, we are actually incredibly muscular creatures, all of us, men and women. And so this need to carry 
it's still sort of really deeply embedded in our DNA. And after I'd researched uh, rucking, which we in the UK, we call it tabbing. And people who do backpacking will just call it backpacking. But uh, at the time, one of my daughters had a, a boyfriend who was in the army and he was in charge of rucking. So he told me all about rucking. And I got so excited about rucking and, and what it does for your body and, and again for your mind that I decided that from now on I was going to do my supermarket shop. You know, so when I go shopping, I take a backpack. Wow. And um, I've got four kids. So I was, you know, there's a, quite a lot of shopping for four, as you will know, for four kids, quite a lot of shopping. But I would take a backpack and I would take two bags. And I would try and I'm, I'm close enough to a supermarket. It's only half an hour, but I would walk there and then walk back with everything on my back and two bags. And I probably did look slightly strange, but <laughs> I didn't, re I didn't really mind what I looked like because I thought this is, this is really good for me. It's when you've got a, a backpack on, for example, one of the things that happens, whether it's full of food or, or, you know, tent and pillow is that it opens up your chest. So mm. you walk with much better posture without even thinking about it and when your chest is open you can breathe more fully and you breathe more slowly and you breathe more deeply so I just really liked the way that I was breathing with a backpack on and of course carrying all that weight meant I was having a, a complete upper body workout without having to go to the gym or lift any weights or you know it was all there I got home I'd done the shopping I'd filled the wow. fridge I'd had my aerobic exercise I had my weightlifting. And I, I just felt good. I think there's a sense that, you know, rocking and tabbing are just for the military or just for men. That I say, no, they're not. Anyone can actually, even if you're just doing a grocery shop, instead of getting, you know, thinking, I'll just put it all in the car. Even if you're just walking, perhaps you park right at the end of the car park, load your things into your, into your backpack and carry it back to your car at the end of the car park. And mm -hmm. at least you've got a bit of that sort of, you know, you've had a, have a taste of, a taste of rocking. Mm -hmm. And you even talked about it with your picnic. Bring a picnic. It was an additional benefit of picnicking because you have to carry the food. You have to carry the food. And I loved that, that that was woven in there. What a simple thing. Take a picnic. Don't come back. Take your picnic with you. Carry it. Have the kids help carry it. And there's so many benefits. You wrote walking three to four miles is the perfect pace for preserving bone density in the elderly. Mm -hmm. So as we're walking, it's really helping with our bone structures. I just read this book wide-eyed, Annabelle. I couldn't put it down. Like I said, I have notes and circles and with stars and my mouth drop. And it was just fascinating to me. And I think it's one of those books that's life-changing because you can always come back to it and remind yourself that simple things can make a drastic difference in your life and try and find those simple things. Try the wrecking, try these different ideas, try to sing, try to hum while you walk. Add in a couple minutes of backward walking, get outside in the morning. Remember that those colors change throughout the day. So you can get outside in the evening too, that the color spectrum changes and helps yeah. to prepare your body for rest. And so this is a fantastic book, 52 Ways to Walk came out this year. The Surprising Science of Walking for Wellness and Joy, One Week at a Time, available wherever you buy your books. Could you tell us briefly about the other books that you have? Uh, yes, I have a book called Windswept, which is a, a sort of part memoir. Again, it's about walking. It's about women who walked in the past in order to find their own voice, really. So these are women in the 19, 1920s, 30s, 40s, walking, yeah, doing long, they're doing long distance walks out in the countryside. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at how their walks changed them. 
I can't wait to read that one. The subtitle is Walking the Paths of Trailblazing Women. So that's on my next list. I can't wait to read Windswept. Yes. And then I've got a, a health book called The Age World Project. I'm not sure if that's available in the States, which is about how little, again, it's all about little things we can do to help us age well as we move through our 40s, 50s and onwards. Uh, and then I've got three novels. One is called The Joyce Girl. One is called Frida. And one is called Miss Eliza's English Kitchen. So they are, they're all quite different. And I feel like I've missed a book, but I don't think I have. No, those are all, those are all the books. (laughs) Yes. It's really a special thing when you find an author that you love and then they have more. So this is exciting for me. I am moving on to Windswept, but I love reading novels too. So this is really exciting. And the books that you have written are changing lives, been translated into more than 20 languages. So if people want to find you, they can find you at AnnabelleAbs.com, also the AgeWellProject.com, and at AnnabelleAbs on Instagram. And then it's backwards on Facebook, Abs Annabelle. And I'll make sure that I'll write all those things so that people can find you. But this book, 52 Ways to Walk, I'm so glad someone told me about it. And they told me about it in a way that I knew I wanted to read it because they were so excited about it. And I could just picture them hopping through. I mean, we didn't even talk about the jumping and the impact on your bones. and But they talked about jumping through their neighborhood and they were so <laughs> thrilled about it. And then, like I said, I got so much feedback when I posted that one quote. So I know this is a great book for people to read at any time of the year to change their life. So I really appreciate your time. Annabelle, we always end our podcast with the same question. The question is, what is a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside? Uh, Well, I grew up on the coast of Wales. And um, as I said, we had no car. We walked everywhere. But what has really stayed with me is swimming every single day in the grey sea, (laughs) in the Atlantic Ocean. Every single day, my father would take me and my brother and sister. And it didn't matter what the weather was. Uh, and we weren't allowed to complain. We just all went in. But sometimes just for a minute or two, we went in, had a dip, and out we came. And I will never forget those wild Welsh swims. Wow. Wow. Well, Annabelle, thank you for your time. Thank you for your beautiful, inspiring writing. I am so glad that we've connected. And I know that everyone is just going to really enjoy this episode. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I loved chatting with you. It's been great. Thank you. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.